reception. I'm used to getting a little different reception than, uh, than what I've got here today. So, uh, and that's a little bit pleasant, I'll have to tell you. So, it is good to be here this morning. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces out here today, and it, yeah, you're the ones that have rode in the back seat of my car. <laughs> so, and uh, it's, all, it's good to see all of you, and thank you again for the invitation to come and to speak to you today uh, for just a few minutes. A pastor told me that I only had two hours, and, <laughs> and now you think I'm kidding that I can take that long, but uh, I'm just, I am just teasing today. It, for just the next few minutes, um, I'll be with you to speak about a subject that is um, a horrific, and, and I say that uh, kind of as a forewarning as we begin to talk about this subject today. Uh, a little bit about myself and only from the standpoint of uh, sharing with you the perspective by which I speak this subject today, I have to tell you that um, in my years of, of law enforcement, which now is probably somewhere close to 25 years that I've been, and I know that comes as a shock. Uh, you looked up here and said, how in the world a guy that young <laughs> could have been in law enforcement for 25 years already? Well, I started when I was about nine, so, <laughs> so that's, that's why. Uh, but about 25 years of, of law enforcement, um, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of different things within the law enforcement community. Um, a lot of cool things, things that have been fun, enjoyable, uh, diverse. Um, I've, I've, I said before, I've done just about everything you can do in law enforcement, uh, with the exception of, of having a dog. I've never been a canine officer. Uh, I do have a dog, he just happens to be worthless. <laughs> but um, but I've, I've done just about everything else. I've had the chance to work patrol, um, court security, transport, uh, and then some of the cool things and detective, and investigator, uh, major crimes, homicide, uh, narcotics task force. I was a commander of a narcotics task force for the attorney general's office. Um, done some things like that, child abuse investigator, um, things that, that a lot of people would say that's kind of a well-rounded law enforcement career. I only say that in order to kind of launch into what we're going to talk about today, that for the past seven or eight years here with the Pasco Sheriff's Office, I have had the opportunity to serve as a human trafficking investigator for the task force, which covers our county. Our task force covers, used to cover three counties, which was Pasco, uh, Hillsborough, and Pinellas. Now that task force spans seven counties uh, because of the horrific nature of this crime called human trafficking. I would have to tell you that with all the things that I have had the opportunity to do, uh, undercover, narcotics, homicide, childhood, there has never been a more evil crime that I've ever investigated than the crime of human trafficking. So today we're going to talk about human trafficking because a lot of times when I, I start talking about human trafficking, one of the things that a lot of people will ask me, they'll say, but Alan, how in the world would human trafficking be a, as prevalent in our area that it would require investigators working in a task force setting? Because most Times and a lot of people have the, the conception 
that human trafficking is a foreign-based issue, that it is foreign workers, and and it does cover that, but it's foreign workers who are coming into the country and and working um, in, in various trades and so on and so forth. And so why would we talk about that in our little backyard of Zephyr Hills, Florida? Because the truth of the matter is, is that human trafficking is happening in our neighborhood. Right here. In these pristine places like Zephyr Hills, Dade City, Wesley Chapel, our orange groves, our trades, and yes, even brothels that are operating in the sex trafficking industry right here in our area. So we're going to talk about what that looks like. And I may refer to a couple of cases that we've worked in the local area uh, just to kind of give you an understanding of what happens here. When our country was young and we were seeking as 13 ragged colonies that were banding together to form what is now the United States of America, we were looking for our moral fabric. What would be the fabric that would hold these 13 colonies together? What would be the rallying cry of what now is the greatest country in the world, the United States of America? What would be our moral fabric? There was a young politician that stood up in a little schoolhouse that also was a little church, and he began to make this statement. He said, gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased with the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Most of us recognize the last phrase of Patrick Henry's speech on that day when his statement to those that were gathered, founding fathers, his statement to them was the moral fabric of this country must be a love of freedom, a love of liberty. And yet most of us sitting here today would acknowledge that our country has struggled with the concept of freedom and liberty at times. It was in that revolutionary war that we fought against imperialism and for freedom against someone telling us who we could worship and at what time we could worship. And so there was the fight against imperialism and freedom raised her voice and sang the song of liberty. It wasn't long after that that we had the Emancipation Proclamation from Abraham Lincoln who declared that no race should be held in slavery to another race, and freedom sang. Wasn't too long after that that the women's suffrage movement was raised and our country declared that no gender should be held in slavery to another gender, and freedom sang. And yet not many years later, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who made the statement that a man should not be judged on the content or on the color of his skin, but rather the content of his character. A statement I believe in today. It should not be the color of skin. It should be the content of a man's character. 
and freedom sang again. And yet, here we are at the beginning of 2017. And I I am here to once again say freedom needs to sing again. Because now the world is facing the greatest and the most horrific method of human slavery in the history of mankind. And it's called human trafficking. Human trafficking. What is it? How big is it? And is it here? The United Nations says that today there are 27 million who are held in human trafficking today. Groups like Red Sand, advocacy groups have the number around 38 million. And the lowest number, credible number you can find out there today is a number that oftentimes I use because it's the lowest, most agreed upon number. Comes from the International Labor Organization who tells us that there are 20.9 million held in human trafficking right this moment. If that number is true, and I believe that number to be, to be small and underreported, if that number is true, there are more people in slavery today than at any other time in the history of mankind in 2017. So the question then becomes, what is this? What is human trafficking? It comes in three forms. It's a relatively young law. It's not a young thing, but it's a young law. It was passed in the year of 2000 by our U.S. Congress called the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, TVPA of 2000. It declared that human trafficking comes in three forms. Number one is involuntary servitude. Involuntary servitude is going to be the house slave, the house servant, usually a wealthy individual or sometimes a politician, and I know that comes as a surprise, but that sometimes it is, it is those who have what the news media declares to be the undocumented worker. It's the house slave that works 16, 18 hours a day. We rescued one, and I say we as in law enforcement, where two Honduras women were forced to stay in a closet underneath the stairs. It's where their bedroom was, their dresser was. Punished if they made noise while company was there. And if I showed you the pictures which I have in some of my presentations, I would show you what her arms looked like from being punished. And the punishment was a needle nose plier where she grabbed the skin and twisted, made it look like cigarette burns. Horrific how one human being can treat another. Two Honduras women was rescued from that horrible involuntary servitude. It happens to be the smallest of the numbers that are out there. And most of the cases that we work are diplomat staff, where they come from countries where their culture allows for house servants. And when they get to the United States, it becomes illegal. That's most of our cases. The second one, which is the largest form as far as numbers, is called forced labor. Forced labor is going to be industries like agriculture fields. It's going to be landscaping. It's going to be construction trades. And some that are not recognized by some of the is nail salons, Chinese buffets, where they're forced to work sometimes 18 hours a day, sometimes 15 hours a day, 70, 80 hours a week, and they're forced to work to pay off what is known as a debt bondage. When they come into the United States across the border by a coyote, the going price right now is about $7,000. 
to come across the border. Most of the time they don't have that, so they work off what's known as a debt bondage, but they never work it off. The third form, which is the most uh, reported, is the commercial sex trade. And the commercial sex trade is going to be the strip clubs. It's going to be the illegal brothels. It's going to be the street tracks where a prostitute is walking a street track and being forced to do so against her will by coercion or force. Oftentimes, young children being held hostage so that they'll work the street track. It is a horrific crime. And that particular crime comes both in adult victims and in the minors. So let me talk about minors for just a second. Because most of us have asked the question without being educated about human trafficking, would say that the minors would be a a small part, and most of those are going to be international victims that are coming in and forced to work in maybe the orange groves in a mobile brothel. And yet what we rescue the most in the Tampa Bay area are what we call DMST, domestic minor sex trafficking. They are our own kids. And the average age is 13. Can you imagine a 13-year-old being raped 12 to 30 times a night for $30 for 30 minutes? Right here in Tampa Bay. And when I say we're rescuing, I'm talking about we're rescuing not one or two a year, but in the dozens. And if we're rescuing that many, how many more are out there that we're not detecting? There is a fourth, and I'm going to wrap up here in just a moment because I don't want to keep you too long. But there's a fourth level that is not recognized by the federal government. I, along with my law enforcement advocates, have advocated to to the U.S. government to make this the fourth layer of human trafficking. Because you want to talk about evil, wait till you see this. It's called organ farming or organ trafficking. Now, I don't want to to be too brutal today, which is why I didn't bring pictures and didn't bring slides. So let me just describe what I saw. Things that these eyes will never unsee, which is why most law enforcement is suffering some form of PTSD. You see too much in this career. It was on a barge outside of Thailand and there were cages, one stacked upon the other. The cages were probably five or six high. They were made out of bamboo. And when I first saw those through the lenses of a camera, when I first saw those, my thought was, this must be some kind of wild exotic animal that they're going to smuggle out of the country and sell. Perhaps parrots, perhaps monkeys. I I thought that must be what's in those cages. But when the camera zoomed in on these bamboo bars, looking through the faces of these bamboo bars were the faces of small children. And when I asked the question, what are they doing? The answer disturbs me to this day. That when somebody needs an organ, They will blood type these kids until they get the right blood type 
and they will harvest their organ right out of their body. The one that I will never forget was the small boy with the patch over his eye because they had harvested his eye. And I heard somebody tell me when I mentioned this, oh, that doesn't happen here, so why should we be concerned about it? Well, first of all, it's happening right across our southern border in the Mexican cartels called the Zetas, who are already involved in it. And I would dare say, though we have not made a case here, that we've had a consumer right here from the United States who has probably consumed or used those services. If we don't stop it now, it will come in like a flood, which is why I stand against some of the the things that we say is okay with human tissue and harvesting tissues and things of that nature. We must watch out for these slippery slopes lest the door opens up. Human trafficking. Human trafficking. I, uh, I want to wrap this up today with a couple of things. The first thing that I want to mention to you is this. How bad is it here in the United States? The United States ranks as the number one consumer of human trafficking in the world. Number one. And we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. Number one. How big a problem is it? $32 billion a year. That's 32 with a B, $32 billion a year. And that number is probably light. That's more than Nike. That's more than Google. That's more than Apple. Human trafficking. It is the second largest criminal enterprise in the world, just behind the drug trade. And most experts believe that by 2025, human trafficking will be the number one criminal enterprise in the world. We are seeing the human trafficking trade being taken over by the cartels. And now we're seeing the Russians, who are the most brutal of all the cartels, taking over these and franchising human trafficking throughout the United States, just like you'd buy a McDonald's. You can buy a human trafficking franchise. It is brutal. It is ugly. And my brothers and sisters, I would say to you as a body of believers, it is evil. It is evil. That's how big the problem is. And and so now let me drill it down to, what about Florida? The National Human Trafficking Hotline tracks the number of calls that come into the hotline and rank those by states. Do you know that Florida, our state, ranks number three? And the Tampa Bay area, number two. A hub recognized for the human trafficking trade. High tourism, nice weather, high-end hotels, agriculture, big conventions, large groups like we have tomorrow with the national championship. And these traffickers, I almost said what I usually say, these traffickers, I realized I was in church, these traffickers 
are bringing their victims in to, and I'll use the industry word, service the clientele. Right here. Oftentimes when I mention this, the question that I get is this. Well, Alan, if we've got this kind of problem, what can we do? What can we do? Let me give you a a couple of simple answers that make the biggest difference. Number one, be aware. I have brought with me today a very simple bookmark. It's not a, a large thing to carry with you, but it'll fit inside of a handbag. It'll fit inside of a book. And it simply has on here some of the most prevalent signs of human trafficking. On the back are some sample questions that may be asked if you suspect that's going on. My question to you is, is how hard is it to take a little bookmark like this and simply say, I'm going to watch my surroundings. And if I see something suspicious, I'll simply make a call. Call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. It'll activate the task force, and we'll go take a look at it. Maybe it's not, but what harm was it to send somebody out there and say, let's take a look at this and make sure everything's all right. Most of the cases we get come from somebody reporting because, as you can understand, most victims won't self-report because they're being held in bondage. Brainwash, trauma bonding, Stockholm Syndrome, all those things in play. I would ask you to take one of these bookmarks. I think I brought enough you could take two or three and pass the word along. The second thing is, is perhaps as a church or a group within the church, raising goods, toiletries, clothes, little items that could be put into a box and given to some of our victim service providers that are working in the area. Do you know that we have two that are being stood up right now? One for minor girls, a campus for rehabilitation of these precious little creatures of God. And the second is one for boys, minor boys. Do you know we just rescued an 11-year-old boy? 11 years old. So boys are involved in this too. And we're getting ready to stand up only the second one in the entire nation for minor boys. Those are the things we can put our hands into and help right now. So I'm going to invite all of you not to get in my car (laughs) for two reasons. You won't all fit. And the second reason is it would be too good of a story to tell. (laughs) But I'm going to invite all of you to an event we're doing on Saturday. This coming Saturday at Wiregrass Mall, 6 o'clock in the evening, on the second floor of the parking garage, we're having our second annual Light Up the Night. It's about raising the awareness. News media will be there. The sheriff will be presenting some checks to to four frontline organizations. Danny Burgess will be there. Marco Rubio has written a letter that will be be read there. It's going to be a really good event, but it's all about raising the awareness. Educating. And guess what you'll get to do? You'll get a chance to meet these frontline organizations, all of them that'll be there to find out more directly how you may get plugged in. Here's my thing. We've said it oftentimes, and I only paraphrase it today. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good folks to just be silent. So I ask you today, look inside your heart. 
Some people say it's a law enforcement problem. Do you think we can solve this? Can we arrest our way out of this problem? Can law enforcement be ever? You know, you know the answers to that. It takes all of us standing together. So I'm asking you today to stand up for those who can't stand for themselves and speak up for those who have been silenced. And together we will declare, not here, not now, not ever. Let's end human trafficking and stand up for the righteousness of God for all of these victims have been, in the, have been created in the image of their creator and deserve the right to live free in the sight of their God. Thank you for your attention today. Let's make a difference together.